0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons.
1: Welcome to episode 115 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book, and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss the first half of James S.A. Corey's 2011 novel, Leviathan Wakes. So James, I'm curious, have you ever
0: read a space opera before? I think I have, but if I did, like, I don't remember any of the titles, <laughs> because reading the story... Uh, reminded me of sci-fi books that I was reading growing up, just reaching out and grabbing anything and reading it. Um, I don't know. Something about it seemed really like a simplistic sci-fi story at first. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I'd call this simplistic. (laughs) It's pretty complicated, but... I would just mean like setup. Like, okay, so, you know, like we sent off a shuttle to go check on some some distress beacon and then the main chip gets attacked. Like, I feel like that's a pretty... Okay, so you're saying it starts simple enough and then it sort of widens out from there
1: i agree with that yeah and and that's that's actually probably the strategy is to give you an entry point that's not overwhelming um what do you know about james sa Corey? Uh,
0: nothing that i know of okay do you, you tell me do you know that he is not a single person <laughs> no i didn't know that
1: yeah he is a p- pen name uh adopted by two writers uh who co-author these novels interesting
0: this is that's a first for us
1: yeah, that is. Uh, I think that is a first for us. Yeah, I think we've dealt with some other pen names, but this is our first uh, team of authors. I think, uh, unless we're forgetting one, and someone will let us know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Daniel Abraham is a was is a fantasy sci-fi writer who had had some success. He'd written a couple trilogies, um, done some comics, uh, had had collaborated in the past with George R. R. Martin. Um, specifically at a certain point he adapted uh, a game of thrones into a into a graphic novel um so he he had collaborated with george R. R. martin and uh the other author in this combo is ty frank who was the personal assistant to one george rr martin
0: wow what do you think of that that's crazy <laughs> i had no idea that's that's so weird yeah so they like teamed up and they were like let's let's take on the world
1: yeah it seems like it from from what i could tell The pair collaborated over an idea for a MMORPG that they had. They wanted this to be an MMORPG. And so they started coming up with all this world building, right? Um, And then I think they did some preliminary um, feelers they're putting out there. And it seemed like it wasn't going to happen as an MMO. So they shifted focus and they started developing it as a tabletop RPG. Uh, So... It's kind of interesting because what they actually started doing was playing playing games of this as a tabletop RPG with their friends. And uh, reportedly, they actually came up with several of the characters that are in this book uh, through these sessions. And they they would sort of explore the universe that they were setting up. And uh, I I guess they got to a certain point where they realized that they had enough story to where, like, this should really be a novel – and uh they decided to co-author it yeah i'm sure there's more to the story than that and people can let us know if they've heard more but that that's what i was able to 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 ascertain from from my research
0: that is so interesting that's crazy because that's that's kind of the dream right like you're playing in like a tabletop game with rpg with your friends or something and then you're like this story is so great and like it's so close to you that you can't really tell if it's great or not but like (laughs) like writing it down and actually like like going forward with the stories that you're playing through like that that's actually really cool yeah, and it actually is because, I
1: mean, look at the successes things have you know, um, mm. and it's compelling. Um, and uh, I, one of the things that I was taken really taken with was the level of I'm going to call it world building, even though what we're really doing is building like the solar system, the universe. Right. But, you know, right. the shorthand is is world building because I was I was so impressed with all the detail and all of the um, just setting up these different factions from from Mars to Earth to the belt and and how these factions all interacted with each other and the politics already you know existing there then down to the nitty-gritties of like life on a on a station on on you know series and and what it's like to be on a ship and really a pretty hard science approach um i've heard this described as hard sci-fi i've also seen and seen in some of the reviews that i read that it's that it's not really hard sci-fi so once again we're we're encountering um it's going to depend on people's definitions and, and you know what I mean? Cause I, I think there are some people who say something's hard sci-fi, but as soon as they spot like one or two things that aren't easily explain, explainable by like everyday, like the science that we have now, they immediately go like, well, it's not hard sci-fi then. Um, right. Whereas I, I don't think that's, I, I think if you look at something like The Martian, where even Andy Weir has said he, you know, he fudged a little bit of like one specific thing in order to do the setup, I don't think anyone's going to argue that The Martian isn't hard sci fi just because of that one thing. And I think some of the, um, it seems to me like some of the stuff that goes on with the, with the disease, um, is, I think a lot of people say that that makes it not hard sci fi, but I don't agree with that. But anyway, that, it really doesn't really matter, but, um, yeah, I forgot what my point was, but yeah, there it is. <laughs> I lost my train of thought.
0: <laughs> I wanted to go back to the fact that you mentioned that both of these people are connected to George R. R. Martin because it like right. in reading this this first half, I really realized that it was like I was like this was always going to be a show, right? Like this was always going to be a, it just it just feels like a TV show. Um, I think it's really clever to have like the sort of detective story going on to right. kind of propel the story forward while also having the sort of like introductory to this world sci-fi adventure kind of like classic story like i was talking about with like sort of like a like a distress beacon and checking it out and and things spiraling from there uh and then how the two meet but with the the connection to George R R Martin it does feel like kind of George, like like maybe not quite as political in terms of like people vying for certain things but there's there's some of that there um but like the sort of setup with the world building like you were talking about like the this Fred Johnson character reminds me of, and like his sort of like Butcher of Anderson Station story that we got like touchings of kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of like a Robert's Rebellion type thing. <laughs> it's like history that's been built into the world that I'm sure we'll find out more about here and there.
1: Yeah. You know, I can see that. I, I don't want to get, I mean, I am a Martin fan, as we have, we have, we have covered in previous uh, episodes, but I don't want to, uh, give him too much credit um he's not the person he didn't like invent these kind of storylines you know um he just does them well and and but you're right i mean I, i'm sure that someone has says oh it's like game of thrones in space i'm sure that has been said about the expanse which by the way right. i don't know if we've said that yet this book is the basis for uh the expanse and, and this series is, is the expanse series um in case you clicked on this episode and you had no idea what leviathan wakes is Um, Yeah, that's book one of the Expanse series, Uh, which, by the way, there are uh, currently eight novels out and there is a ninth one planned as far as I know, which is supposed to be the final one. They have also released a series of novellas and short fiction um, between each novel's release. Um, So there's quite a bit of material and you can just imagine, like think about how much world building we've already seen in half of one book. Um, and you yeah. extrapolate that out over eight or nine books like I can see why people are so into this like this is like if you really when you read all that stuff and you are just so immersed in this world that they've built um, I can see it's you know being just this incredible thing And and honestly I'm kind of excited because I think I'm going to get into it
0: <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. I mean, I'm excited because we've been waiting to watch the TV show for years now. Yeah. Like, I haven't been watching it because of the fact that we were going to cover this. So this is a good reason to jump into it. And, and I know that it's massive. Like, I know that the audience for the show is huge, and I'm sure that that's led to people going back and reading the book and the book readers, I'm sure, are watching the show. Uh, I think I just saw a new trailer for season four, which I didn't watch just cause, you know, I, yeah, don't, I saw that watch it came it.
1: out, but didn't watch it. Uh, agreed. <laughs> Same thing. Cause I'm, I'm too far behind. I don't know. I wouldn't know what was going on. It'd probably be spoilers. So I didn't watch it, but yeah, I mean, we're, we'll get into the show next week. We're going to, we're going to watch the first five episodes and talk about them, um, and talk about what's going on with the show. Cause I know it's had quite a history, um, which we'll, we'll have to get into.
0: Yeah, and you talking about the eight books makes me wonder, like, how closely does the show stick to those eight books? Like, that's a lot of material to adapt. Right. Uh, I wonder how closely, because like, I feel like it's a butterfly effect, right? If you start to change things early on, what do the, kind of like with Game of Thrones, how, how, do, yeah. how does the ending look? That's a good segue, because that leads me into talking about how we decided to do our coverage for this, which
1: is going to be kind of a, an experiment for us. We've, I don't think we've ever quite done it like this. Um, the most similar thing I can think of was, was like, uh, Good Omens. But even that we didn't split up the way we're going to split this up. So what we decided to do is what we did is we found out um, from my wife, who has read the entire book. um, She told me that uh, this book actually goes into season two, as far as like the material in the book um, goes up to something like episode five of season two. And so we were like, well, there's not a real good correlation there where we can't like swap off between book and show and have it, have it be following the same plot. So what we did is we read the first half of this novel and then next week, we're gonna cover the first five episodes of the show. The following week, we'll do the next five episodes of the show, which will round out season one. and then we'll come back and finish out the book, which should take us like the furthest in the story um, because it it goes past season one. Um, and I think that'll be a good place to round out this coverage. So we're gonna try and do it in four episodes. Um we're going to be covering a ton of material basically for everyone. So it's going to be we're not going to maybe get as nitty-gritty as we've been able to get with previous projects and that's just by the sheer v- volume of things we're going to be trying to cover here. But um yeah, I think it's going to be fun. It's kind of an experiment, so we'll definitely be excited to hear what you guys think of this. If you could write in and let us know or comment on one of our social media posts or whatever. Let us know what you think of this coverage and if you like the way we tackled this because TV is always difficult for us, and we're always trying to figure out new ways to cover it, ways that make sense for our show, um, so this is just something we're trying out, and hopefully it works. So you talked about two, uh, or one thing earlier, and um, that was the sort of noir, hard-boiled detective storyline that we get from Miller, and I, while well, I liked that, um, and I think it, it was purposely done to be a recognizable hook. It's supposed to right. be something easy that you understand. Okay, it's he's a cop and he's investigating a mystery, and it's in this you know he's on a station and, and things are weird. But we're gonna like follow him into the seedier parts of society. We're gonna we're gonna see what what life is like on this on this um, on Sirius, and we're gonna learn about the world. Um, and that all works. Um, but it really when this book started to hook me was when we got into where we, the more time we spent with Holden and his crew. And it started to take on um, what I would call like a space western feel. Um, mm-hmm. it, and we started to get it started to get the sense of almost like a firefly or a cowboy bebop or you know any number of space westerns we've had. And that's the stuff that I really gravitated towards. And so once we started getting that feel and we started getting the crew dynamics and and all that stuff, um which I, I don't know, we haven't really talked about the summary yet, but I'm jumping around a little bit. But that stuff really hooked me. And the t- the combination of both of those recognizable elements, I think, does make for a story that is um, a good entry point for people who might otherwise really struggle to read a really science-heavy space opera like this, right? Which it could otherwise be off-putting to some, to some readers.
0: Yeah. It, it's to start out, there's there a lot of moving parts. Like, we were, they're setting up, like, the belt, the Mars uh, kind of Republic Federation type thing. Yeah. They're setting up the Earth one. They're setting up like all of this. All of this stuff's being set up. All of these characters are being set up. And I think you're right. I think that like kind of more detective story is there to serve as like propulsion for the for the first bit of the story for you to be like all right i'm wor- like you're working your way through these these chapters with all the space stuff that's going on and you're you know it's like you're trying to figure that the holden and his crew and all that stuff that goes on out but at the same time like this mystery is being pushed forward and pushed forward and like it's like you like it's more grounded and you can you can really like understand it but as time goes on i think i was also drawn more to the holden story and then like with the merging of the two later nearing the end of this first half um I obviously felt like that was what's, what was going to happen, but it was it was nice to see it start to happen. And it's interesting that, you know, because like we're head hopping between Holden and, and Miller and uh, to see them come together and be in the same spot, but then also be head hopping between the two while they're basically doing the same thing. And by head
1: hopping, you just mean that we're alternating POVs with them. Right. Yeah, no. And um, I agree with that. It was cool to see them merge together, or not merge, to see the storylines merge together. Um, and... I think it was much needed because I was starting to tire a little bit of Miller. Um, I, I think he is modeled after uh, another character in some sense that we've covered on this podcast. Do You know who I'm going to say? Deckard, Rick Deckard. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you got you have this history of sort of. I mean, you can't have like a noir style detective in a in a sci-fi you know story without having some sort of a connection, right? and um in some sense like i i, I like that but it, and it, it felt like they didn't do enough with him to to really separate him from a lot of the other kind of archetypal um hardboiled detectives we've seen in these sort of roles um he's okay i i just um he's i i do like a character who's sort of um so like just bitter and like uh like numb
0: to it all and like you know he's well, he has this he's, weird he's, fascination too right like his whole his case like in in sort of a noir fashion he's so fixated Comes obsessed, and it's like yeah. for for like a for like kind of weird reasons it seems yeah. like he's like is he in love with her is this like some weird obsession he has like like because yeah. he talks about how she, she represents like what his life could have been or whatever and like even right. if the two had met it probably wouldn't have worked
1: well he starts like hallucinating visions of her and like he talks to yeah. her and stuff julie you're talking about yeah right um and that that's kind of interesting and and you know a lot of the elements you're saying are sort of fit very very well with that archetypal character um i guess i just wanted a little more outside of that archetype like a little bit right. more to set him apart from the other ones we've seen not to say that there's nothing you know what i mean like i don't 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 get me wrong um i just thought like his character needed a little bit more um and maybe he develops develops it over time um so i'll i'll be interested to track that um but early on it was like at first i really liked him and then i started to get cold on him and it was a good yeah. thing that at the same time i was getting really into the holden stuff because that really kept me interested in, engaged and interested in the story
0: i mean i i think i agree with that i think that's that's kind of how it was for me and and once the two came together like i talked about i feel like Miller immediately became more like you said like I was just it was this like the The investigation and he's talking to people and he's going through documents and like all this stuff and And it just like he's kind of spinning his wheels and then like he he finally gets fired and like joins up Yeah, like goes to find where they're at and and like then then he kind of clicks in with their story And I think it be, immediately becomes more interesting again
1: well, and I think part of it is also that um the stuff that's going on with Holden feels so big and like solar system um altering you know he's starting they're starting wars over this and um the stuff with miller feels very small scale and like you know that it's probably going to link up um Mm -hmm. but but sometimes it was kind of a letdown to come off of something that was so big and exciting to come to back to miller who's like talking to some guy and trying to find out some information and you know what i mean like it would be kind of it would be the the differences there would be kind of stark sometimes but um let's move on from that because i don't think it's a problem um, the thing one of the things I really loved, and I, I've already mentioned this, but just to, to harp on it some more, is the world building going on. Because I I am a junkie for really clever world building. And the the fir- the more I, I got into this, the more I started to believe that like this is what's going to happen one day. <laughs> like it's such a believable premise for humanity's expansion into the solar system and and how it could happen. And then like what and then politically what could evolve from that is so cool and interesting and, and um I love the idea of these belters who feel like they're kind of put upon by both the Martians and the Earthers and how they feel like they're they're sort of the blue collar, like um they're getting taxed by everybody and they're sort of yeah. oppressed and they and then they feel like their 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 needs aren't being seen to, so they're starting to form their own like rebellion and they have the OPA, which is this labeled a terrorist organization. And honestly I kind of felt like they were a little bit of an American story, right? Like breaking away from the from the British Empire and feeling like you shouldn't be taxed by someone who's so far away and doesn't have your best interests in mind. And you right. know, it's, that's maybe an oversimplification of what's going on here. But in some ways, like my you know my latent American spirit, I guess was caught up in it, and I, I felt <laughs> like I was identifying with the with the Belters really strongly.
0: Yeah, I didn't think you'd be talking about your latent American spirit <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> Need to deny until it came out. Honestly, but, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really into the the world building as well. Like this sort of uh, factionization of of people. Like even if we get off world, we're gonna create factions. We're gonna create yeah. tribes. Become see people as different.
1: Yeah. Well, and yeah, the racism that comes up from people from, from different areas because you look different because of the way gravity right. affects you, which is a, a really cool detail and. You know, yeah. which I know they're not the first to do, but it's the way all
0: this kind of is unified. Definitely, and I also really like the way that, like, the, I think it's like the Belters and the and and the Martians are kind of going at it. Like, I think the Belters are stealing from the Martians or something like that, and then the Americans are trying to stay or the uh, the Earthlings are trying to stay out of it because I think it's like the Earthlings and the Martians are like against Earthers, each other. Is what they call them in this. The thing. Earthers yeah. and the Martians are kind of against each other, and then the the Belters are stealing from the Martians and then like in terms of like uh, like that stuff i don't think that the earth earthers really want to be involved in it or something well, like that there's it's
1: like just, pira- i guess there was like pirate piracy going on in the belt mm-hmm. it sounds like um because there's a lot of this uh there's this like trade of gases and, and water and different minerals
0: yeah the outer planets have like better resources i think so they try to bring them in towards the towards mars and earth but it has, it has to come through the belt yeah in order to get there well so, and there yeah.
1: is a lot of precious materials out in the in the belt you know so it kind of makes sense that they would eventually start mining them um, and I just also love like, that's like the macro, but then like the micro level of like the life on these stations and what it's like and, and, and how they're how they get their food to what the, the lighting is like. Um, I mean, I have to, I have to mention that, like, I'm writing a novel that is a underwater sci fi novel that has like station life and stuff like that. And I, I couldn't help but be inspired and, and 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 love all these details because it was like. I don't know, like I've been doing this sort of stuff in my work and it just showed me like even more things to think about. And um, it's just it's it's a useful book for me to be reading right now, um, you know, just because it's anytime you can read something that's sort of in the, a similar genre to what you write. And that's the other thing, the tone and the the style of this book, that, that it's adult, that it's dark, that it's that it's got some violence to it. But it's also got humor. It's also got likable characters and it's also diverse and all these things you can you know, this is the the hallmarks of the kind of fiction I like to write. And I would say probably similar because I've heard people say that I should comp uh, The Expanse or Leviathan Wake specifically for my for my book when I try and, you know, query it. And and I I can see what they're saying because I, I think it is sort of uh, of a kind um, there. So that's very self-indulgent. So we don't have to linger on that very much. But I just it, it is a reaction I had while reading this. And I couldn't I have to talk about it at least a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. It's cool to hear
1: so anyway the world building I was geeking out about but now we can move on what what about you man like what's really standing out about this story for you um that you think makes this the sort of thing that has this long running now entering its fourth season show based off of it that people are so passionate about like what is what is setting this apart
0: so to me the reason it felt so much like it it needed to be adapted into a show is that like I could feel the episodes ending do you know what I mean like each con each Mm. like kind of Situation that they get into the conflict is resolved and then like something else comes around the corner It felt very episodic to me like it felt like I was like like reading a tv show script.
1: Yeah, it's compelling stuff I'm, just thinking like we have the, the 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 personal stakes uh with someone like holden who loses someone that he seems like maybe he wasn't fully in love with but he you know he really had feelings for and was having a somewhat of a relationship with um, when the cant is destroyed. Um, and, and, and the personal stakes for all of them and losing their friends and and, and all that but then you also get these stakes that are so huge because a war breaks out
0: or is breaking
1: out. It is in the process of breaking out and it seems like it's it's full steam ahead at this point. Um, so I don't know I I love how they're able to juggle both of those things like um, whenever you can have personal stakes and these like really big stakes at the same time um, that's a good way to just hook hook a reader in and and feel like there's a lot going on here
0: yeah and I mean to make another comparison which maybe maybe is a little more thin than the other ones I made uh, if you were gonna compare this to Game of Thrones again, the sort of like black ooze that they're finding is it would be like your White Walkers. That's like lo- a threat looming, and like what is that? What's going on? Oh, interesting. On there? We should talk. So we should talk
1: more about that. Um, we o- we only really get a we get a bit of that at the start, which is um actually a prologue from Julie's point of view, who ends up being sort of the missing person that Miller is investigating. Um, and we see her interact with a talking head at the end of the prologue, and there's like this growth on the on the uh, generator or not the generator the the engine and room and stuff and like it's something crazy's going on there's a goo there's there's some sort of infection it seems like and then there's something maybe even almost magical happening unclear maybe it does have a scientific explanation I don't know but I think there's a talking head like decapitated head so um, something crazy and dark like very it's almost like a horror movie start to like a horror in space kind of thing um, which I also love like space horror so all these yeah. things are lining up perfectly with my tastes and i can see why this was recommended to me and the other thing is like uh the the level i now i i guess maybe we should talk a little bit about background have you seen any of the show coming into this
0: i think i saw like the first episode and okay. then and then stopped so okay not really
1: I, I saw the first i think two or three i'm not really sure um it's been it's been years a few years now um, I have to, I'll, I'm sure I'll remember as I go to watch them. Um, and I, I don't want to get into the show much here because we're focusing on the book. But I was immediately taken with just how much more detail I was getting and how much more uh, time I was spending with these characters throughout each of these moments, which I felt like a lot of this happened very fast in the show. Um, so so in some sense, like I, I just immediately gravitate towards this book as being the sort of way i like to experience a story like this now i'll be curious to see if that changes over time with with the show and if i start to gravitate more towards the show Um, but this is one where my very initial gut feeling is just that i uh off off the jump really am preferring the book to what i had seen in the show now the show was bad you know and we'll get into it maybe i'll change my mind after i see more of it but just that that this would felt like a really pure experience for me for the story yeah
0: I mean that tends to be the case, and like that—that's why it's a good thing this isn't a, this wasn't adapted into a movie, right? Because it's like well, however short you felt like it was in the show, it would have been <laughs> yeah. ten times shorter in a movie. Um, yeah, so it's been just ridiculous. like the, kind of the economy of like how you're going to use how you're going to uh, how much time you're going to invest in the character to like you know like endear them to the audience. Um yeah. and so like that—that's interesting because this it's a pretty long show at this point, so I'm sure that that by the end by you know season four is about to come out people are invested in really invested in these characters like you would be in a book but so yeah if they have nine
1: fucking books at the end of this how many seasons of television are they going to do because that's a lot of material man game of thrones doesn't even have that many books and now these books granted are a little shorter than your average game of thrones novel but not by much yeah yeah so anyway uh we can get into that more as we go on but i think uh, i'm going to read some summary and we can react to specifics in the story um are you ready for that Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The ice-hauling ship Canterbury is en route to the Ceres station when it encounters a distress signal. Five members of the Kant's crew are dispatched in a shuttle to investigate. Executive Officer James Holden, Chief Engineer Naomi Nagata, Pilot Alex Kamal, Engineer Amos Burton, and Medic Shed Garvey. They discover an abandoned transport vessel called the Scopuli, They find no trace of the ship's crew, but they do discover the beacon transmitting the distress signal. Suspecting that the ship may be a trap set by pirates, they take the beacon and begin to return to the cant. Before they can make it, an unknown stealth warship arrives and, without warning, destroys the cant with a nuclear weapon. Holden sends an angry message to the attacking ship, but it ignores him and departs. Based on the highly advanced technology of the warship and the discovery that the beacon from the Scopuli is of Martian origin... The survivors suspect Mars of being behind the attack. In response, the shuttle is ordered to rendezvous with the MCRN, which is the Mars Martian Federation thing, um, battleship the Donager, the flagship of Mars' Jupiter fleet. En route, they receive a message from Fred Johnson, chief of Tycho Station, an engineering outpost and construction platform, offering his support. As the shuttle makes its way to the rendezvous, they are pursued by a group of unknown ships." Meanwhile, on Ceres station, Belter detective Josephus, aka Joe, Miller of Star Helix Security, the Earth-based private security firm responsible for policing the station, is contracted to locate Julie Mao, the daughter of wealthy magnate Jules Pierre Mao, and send her back to her family on Luna against her will. When Holden's message reaches Ceres, riots erupt, which leads Miller to discover that the station's riot gear is missing. All right, so let's stop there cuz that sets up both of these plot lines in plenty of detail, but um yeah.
0: Yeah, that sets us up. Uh, just to jump to like the the beginning with the sort of uh situation the shuttle's kind of on its way back to the main uh Canterbury mm-hmm. and you know there's this hopeless thing with space where it's like no matter what, it's going to take a long time for things to happen, so like the, the, their trajectory is like an hour to get back to the main ship and then like they slowly have to see these like stealth ships like appear and start attacking and they're hearing people over the comms and they're basically just saying like i believe the person they're communicating with is like very calm and it's just like you know they're impact in 30 seconds and they're counting down impact time and there's no way that the shuttle will make it in time and just that that idea of like being helpless i felt was like really yeah. i don't know that was that was a pretty uh, engaging scene
1: Absolutely, that was, it was gripping, and, and and I love that they don't they didn't know they're torpedoes of some kind. I think they're described as, but they don't know that they're nukes. So I think the thought was they were going to take damage. But they didn't think right. the entire ship was going to get almost vaporized, which is well, what and happens. they said that too. The characters
0: yeah. were like, "Yeah, once you get hit, just like do whatever you can to survive, and then and then we'll get you out of there," kind of thing. Yeah.
1: So then the 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 drop in the stomach of like, oh my god, they're just gone. Like it, it was nukes. There and and he is, um, uh, Holden is literally on the comms with I think Ade was her name. Um, the woman he had the relationship with, and he essentially hears her die. hears her final moments. And so he's filled with sort of a righteous anger when he sends out this message. And I love that it sort of has this unintended consequence because he just, he says factually that some of the stuff showed Mars manufacturing on it. Yet that just including that alone is setting off this domino effect as all these other stations are hearing about it. And they they leap to the conclusion that Mars just attacked. Um, whereas that's actually not known. And he even says, that's not what I said, but everyone makes the jump leaps to that conclusion. Right.
0: Right. And that's the main thing is like when they got to the Scapula, it was like, it, there was nobody on board. The airlocks were all broken, all that kind of stuff. And, and it wasn't there, mm-hmm. the, the distress c- signal wasn't coming from the distress beacon of the actual Scapula. It was like of, it was like an additional beacon that was put in there and attached to the battery. So it was like very clear that like, it was like a diversion or like some sort of, um, S- setting up somebody was being set up yeah or maybe not set up yeah. or because and
1: we don't know at this point but my, my you know i feel like someone wanted to start a war is the only thing i can read from this like, someone wanted
0: to start a war between mars and earth and the belts
1: yeah. specifically the belts i think
0: i wanted to ask you do you think we have all the enough details to, to like uh, although like i don't know who it is do you think we have enough details to kind of say like do you think that the person who person or a faction or whatever it is that's behind it, do you think it's been introduced yet, or do you think it's something we'll see in the second half?
1: Um, you know, I I I, I bet there's stuff in there. I just feel like when you're dealing with a sort of mystery, there's gotta be things. So I, yeah. I suspect we we probably do have some information. We just don't know what's important and what's not and what what the key is. Um I think Earth has been noticeably absent from what we've gotten so far. Um, and I feel like at some point we'll get we're gonna get some more Earther interactions and and stuff like that. Um, it does seem to me like Mars is not behind it. I think they're they're getting kind of roped into this. Um, is it is it an is it a, another faction that either hasn't been introduced yet or we haven't we haven't realized is introduced? Maybe
0: yeah. I don't know. This sort of stealth ship situation reminds me of a Star Trek episode a little bit. Like we're I was like, getting some Star Trek vibes for some of this. Yeah, no,
1: no, yeah I mean, I, it's hard to it's hard to have like space battles and not have any of that though. You know,
0: yeah, the, just sort of like the, the like oh, the the main ship is being attacked by stealth things that jumped out yeah. of nowhere and they're attacking yeah, us clean, and they were there all along. Was that a
1: Klingon bird of prey or whatever? I I don't know. I am not a I'm not a Trekkie, so I'm sure that's yeah. gonna be obvious as I butcher any reference I try and make. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a Trekkie?
0: I don't know this about you, James. Um, you, no, you seem not like you're really. more in Star Wars yeah i'm more of a star wars person but i like star trek i i feel like at some point i will you know i think that that'll that'll be a gap that i fill in eventually just like kind of really immerse myself in all star trek right just random
1: you know just because we mentioned it i i grew up watching next generation um so i did watch a ton of that um i know a little bit of the original and then i watched some deep space nine and some voyager here and there but i never really followed it like religiously and i never Mm. got really steeped in the lore because i never read any of the novels or anything so you know just a little bit you know i am a fan i'm just not
0: like a full-blown trekkie you know (laughs) who's got it all down i know i Um, prefer like 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 next generation was my entry point as well like that's what i watched um, I can't say I watched all of it.
1: I mean, the tone is obviously very different in the story, though, right? Because yes. this is a world where there's racism, where it's it's highly capitalist. Um, clearly, is still very true. Um, whereas Star Trek is a lot more utopian. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of the the um, drama comes from outside of the the Federation. Um, right, where there's a lot of peace, and instead it's like you know, aliens and stuff. Whereas this is mostly humans on humans, you know, they've just gone to different parts of the solar system. But um, so, in that sense, it's kind of gritty and it's sort of, uh, um, yeah. it, and, it, and it's, and it reminds me more of like a cyberpunk, right? There's, I was getting strong, especially when they go to Eros later, I was getting very strong um, Blade Runner vibes. So, how I much think, were you I thinking of, like, into
0: it? Were you getting, um, Altered Carbon as well, like, obviously that's another comparison point, but, like, I was just wondering, like, if it, if any of this stuff struck you as, like, more Altered Carbon than Blade Runner?
1: Well, I, I mean...
0: Because I feel like the thing about Blade Runner is that it's, like, very specifically, like, cyberpunk, like, is, is slightly different than what we're getting here, but there is a detective story in a sci-fi world. So, that's why I specifically said,
1: um, why I specifically said the era stuff, because there's a moment where he's walking through the, like, vice sections of that of that part and he uh miller miller stops to eat noodles and he has a conversation with someone else and i was specifically thinking of a scene in blade runner when that happens so i I don't that direct moment just evoked that to me you know that could have been a reference
0: too i feel like if i was going to write a story with sci-fi detective story like you're going to put a noodle scene in just for right. Fun. Right.
1: Yeah. So I think that definitely might have been a reference. If so, I caught it. <laughs> um, do you want to say anything about meeting up uh, meeting Joe Miller here and his sort of uh, introduction and and learning about the initial parts of this mystery here? We got some riots erupting on, on the station, which is fun. <laughs> yeah by fun i mean not fun
0: <laughs> <laughs> i just it, with this story i immediately felt like it was going to be like i i obviously like right away we know this is a detective story and it's going to play out in in, in that kind of way but i was wondering like how far it would lean into like that sort of like noir uh detective story uh mm. underbelly of society like red herring filled like femme fatale like all that kind of stuff but you know i don't think we've got all of that but I, it it is cool to see that it is this this uh, I, I don't know i think feel like any detective story you can't it's hard to pull it away from it being like influenced by like noir and that sort mm-hmm. of like early detective story
1: yeah i think very clearly that's what's going on here um and i am glad that it doesn't last throughout the entire book at least early on i like that we get miller outside of the of series he goes to eros um and and he's starting to do some different sort of things and interact with different sorts of characters outside of that familiar ground um and i think that's good for the character i think displacing him from that is good um it did feel to me like if i were to critique any of the parts of the novels for dragging a little it was some of this investigation stuff um where he was like continuing to to deal with um his inner agency politics and and dealing with his superiors and like just some of that maybe dragged a
0: hair um especially by comparison of all the fireworks that were going on in the other storyline which we've already mentioned yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Fred Johnson, this like this character that we're introduced yeah. to with like his lore and Frederick and, like, Johnson. Yeah, because he was like a he was like a a hero. Well, maybe it was like he wasn't a hero and then he was a hero, right? Something like that. So he that, was
1: like... a hero to to Earth because he quelled this like rebellion thing and like he like was the butcher of a station. Oh right, and he like and and he was that like a like, villain, became... yeah, for for the, all the Belters. But then he uh, he ended up. Switching. Like leaving and he switched his allegiances and he instead ended up negotiating some, some stuff. I can't remember the exact details. He negotiated some peace and some like a deal, I think, that was happening and he kind of became a hero again. So he's got this um he's got this reputation as being a turncoat. Um, not only a really brilliant um military mind, but yeah, also being someone who turned on Earth and, and is now being championed by the Belters. So I think they even say like he is the um Robin Hood figure. For them now uh right like he's he's beloved by a lot of the belters so pretty cool i'm hoping we're gonna get more of him which i assume we will yeah i mean we already have like one, yeah. they, they've met up with him here in a little bit well speaking of that maybe we should progress a little in the plot here so we can we can talk about that directly so aboard the donager which is the 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 martian flagship um thing i did not i did not think this thing was going down so fast but let me let me get through that let me get through this here <laughs> and we can react to it Aboard the Donager, the ship's captain denies any knowledge of the MCRN's involvement in the attack on the Canterbury, and instead suspects that one or more of the survivors from the shuttle may have bombed the camp as an act of OPA ter- terrorism. The unknown ships that were pursuing the shuttle ignore warnings to change course and are fired on by the Donager. To the surprise of the Martian crew, the ships return fire. Despite the fact that the Doniger is one of the most advanced and deadly warships in the solar system, it is st- steadily overwhelmed by the mysterious enemy ships and eventually boarded. During the battle, a railgun round penetrates the hull, decapitating Garvey. A team of the Doniger's marine contingent arrives to evacuate the Cant's remaining crew. Although all of the Martian Marines are killed in the process, the four surviving Cant crew members are able to escape aboard the light frigate Taki or Tachi. Uh, just before the donager is scuttled so let's react to this i think this is just a this is a big moment it was it was very cool and it was a lot it's very exciting um so i think let's just focus in on that and react to it what, what did you think of this
0: so you were talking about how you didn't think that the donager was going to go down that quickly and like yes yeah. it, this ship is like top of the line best they have in the fleet this kind of thing which makes me think that like this could be some sort of aliens you, you know what i mean i don't think that it is because i think the mystery of like human on human violence and this story is going to be more interesting but the idea that right. they have like these stealth ships that tore apart their best, like one of their best ships, um, it, it's mm-hmm. very Star Trek. Like uh, that feels kind of Star Trek to me. Like this sort of like, out, like they can't outmaneuver them. They can't. They, they don't have the weapons to, to to beat them, and they're kind of like backed into a corner by advanced technology, and they have to outsmart them. So so yeah. this is um I don't know how much it really
1: informs this or it, but it's kind of a hint I got from doing research, um and, and it may completely lead us down the wrong path, but to support that theory. Um, when they were originally, um, you know, our authors were originally, uh, coming up with the MMORPG, they had the concept of the being, there being the Belters, the Martians and the Earthers, and then a fourth faction that was aliens that was, uh, encroaching upon them and, and sort of like an outside, uh, antagonist. So, um, if there's any holdozer of that, it could potentially be true, but I, I don't know if that's what they decided to go with or not. Sorry, you were right. Sorry.
0: Yeah, it could be a Watchmen situation where it's like, you know, these all these humans have to come together because they're under attack by aliens like they realize they're more more similar than they are right. different and they come together to, to fight against this common enemy or something. And by aliens, you mean psychic giant psychic squids right brought exactly. by ozymandias
1: <laughs> yeah uh yeah could be <laughs> probably not that specific thing but yeah something similar could be i mean
0: ultimately i don't like i said i don't think that it's going to be the the alien stuff just because i think that like the the drama of like human on human is a little yeah. a little more i don't want to say it's more interesting but it's more um it doesn't seem like it's like, as as out of left field yeah we talk, uh, we're talking about watchmen and like i feel like because i haven't been able to say it on the podcast yet just want everybody to know that like if you're not watching Watchmen on HBO please watch it <laughs> especially if you like the if you if you like the comic book um, yeah. I'm absolutely I'm in love with that show so cosign we,
1: we'll have to talk about that some more on a bonus episode or something but uh, one of the things I wanted to mention about this sequence is how uh it, it, it is the first real like high-flying sh- you know gunfire we got we're getting uh very space marine feels right like we have you know it, it was exciting there was explosions going off we had a guy get decapitated by a rail gun which you know i felt horrible about like he was this medic who
0: um holden had just had a moment with like earlier and then he just gets his head blown off and i was like wow that's like a a genuine moment this guy's gonna be an important character and then it was like yeah nope it was just to set up his death yeah yeah gotcha (laughs) um you know
1: and that's well done that's well executed and um yeah i don't know i just enjoyed all this there was a moment where someone died um, but they had they were still like m- had their magnet boots attached. So they were just like flopping in the air, which I thought yeah. was fun. There's a lot of cool yeah. details in here. People getting exploded. And um, I love that one of the Marines was like crushed and severely wounded. And then he um, wanted them to go to this like high speed um thing where they go to like five g's or something and later they say like he must have known he was gonna die when you did that yet he wanted you to do it anyway because he knew that that was the only way to escape so they and then they, they they say they're gonna like pass on his information and stuff so that he gets a proper um recognition um which i thought was cool so so there's just a lot of great details here and it is kind of um kind of neat that is you know in, in like a and like maybe overly neat in that um it is just our far members of the crew that arrived as prisoners who escape on the ship at the end um, with no one else. Um, but I did like that uh, the, the Marine was there. He just died. And it, 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 I feel like they earned it ultimately.
0: Yeah, I also want to talk about this drug that the pilots use to kind of deal with the, the gravity that they're going through when they're flying through space at crazy speeds it allows the characters to just like grunt through whatever gravity is coming their way and just like muscle through it. And I don't know. I found it to be really interesting.
1: Yeah. It gives them like this hyper focus. Um, yeah. Cool stuff. All these little details, right. That, that are pouring in here that, that makes sense and enrich the world and just makes it more believable. All right. So still unsure of who is trying to kill them the crew of the, Canter- of the Canterbury, decide to go to Tycho Station. There, the Cant survivors share what they've seen with Fred Johnson, who reveals that he is an influential member of the OPA. They receive new transponder codes from the Tachi from Fred, disguise the ship as a gas hauler, and rename it the Rosinante or Rossi. Uh, Fred sends the Rossi to Aero Station to find an OPA operative named Lionel Polanski. Meanwhile, on Ceres, Miller has noticed an exodus of criminals from the station. He also discovers that Julie Mao's father had warned her of an attack in the belt just two weeks before the destruction of the Cant. He is then confronted by Anderson Dawes, leader of the Ceres chapter of the OPA, who tells him that Julie Mao had joined the OPA and had disappeared while performing an important mission for them aboard the Scopuli. Dawes cautions Miller not to investigate the matter any further, Miller presents this information to his boss, Captain Shadid, but she also instructs him to drop the case. Miller, however, finds himself obsessing over Julie. When he persists, he is fired by Shadid, who is revealed to be in collusion with Dawes. However, Miller is still able to access docking logs for all the ports in the belt, which he has been granted access to before his determination. Realizing that the Scopuli was the same ship mentioned in Holden's broadcast, he is able to discern that the Rocinante, is the former tachi from its registry information and he departs for eros okay so let's talk about this because i think this is a part of the story that actually um it seems kind of like uh like a like a transition but it uh it actually really hooked me because this is when we get to see the crew uh really start to bond and 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 i think naomi and um, Holden's relationship starts to evolve. Um, we're seeing, uh, we're starting to see some more color and some more um, differentiation in personalities of uh, Alex and Amos. And that made me start to really identify with these characters, connect with their struggles. And I like the idea of them having to find a new mission and decide they want to get back to work. And then in the way that Holden negotiates with Fred to get the assignment of going to eros um i thought showed a lot like a new layer to holden that we hadn't seen so far mm-hmm. and really cemented him as like a captain i could really get behind like i want this guy to be my captain you know i'm i'm in, I'm in. <laughs>
0: that's very like firefly or like han yeah. solo right like that's like the kind of like well we got to find work and like figure out like how to keep going but we're wanted by some people and you know that kind of thing
1: Right. When this this is where it's getting very space western, right? Yeah. And and I love the, the disguise of their they have a warship that they've disguised to look like a like a gas hauler, and that just seems really cool and like on the surface. Um right. and, and, yeah, I don't know. I loved all of this and it, it made me really, really invested in their storyline.
0: This is kind of where Miller's whole like investigation comes to a head also. We learn that Julie's parents told her uh, warned her of an impending attack and so it's like are they like how are they able to get their hands on that information like who that means that clearly it was premeditated it wasn't something random
1: uh right which links the moon potentially which which is referred to as luna um which we don't know much about what their sort of political standing is i, I assumed right. they were sort of allied with earth but right maybe they're their own separate thing i don't know
0: yeah, and it's like, are they, like, high status or something? Like, are they higher status than just your average Earther? Or is right. it, like, because that, that almost might makes me think of, like, oh, they're, like, it's because they're rich that they had this this information. But that's just me speculating.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'll be curious to learn more about that. I think if I were to suspect anything, it's that we are going to learn more about Luna, what's going on there because of the tie to the Mao family and and all that, right? Like, we're, we're, we're probably going to learn more about that, I would assume.
0: And then this is where he detects and figures out that the ship is yeah. is the older ship the Tachi and and follows it.
1: So this is also where we see uh, Miller get fired. Um, you know, which I thought was was kind of a surprise twist. You know, he's no longer a cop officially, and he sets off on his own to investigate this thing with barely any money to his name, and it seems like he has very few friends. And uh, yeah, this was a nice change up for this story and it started to kind of reinvest me in this character too so this was a i thought like actually a really important moment for the book where um it it really started to pull me back in um across all storylines
0: yeah it was very like hand in your your gun and badge situation and like he's still so invested in the in this case that he can't give it up situation
1: right so still but, very firmly in the archetype
0: <laughs> but it fits it definitely fits yeah.
1: and i liked his detective work right like it was clever the way he was able to narrow it down and discern from the logs and all that stuff and um right. I-, I thought that was cool a cool part
0: yeah he's lucky that he got that that in under the wire before he got fired he like requested the info
1: yeah yeah it just barely worked out um all right so let's get into the final bit of summary here for this first half that we read on Eros, Miller finds the crew of the Rossi at a hotel where Lionel Polanski was listed as a guest. In Polanski's room, they find the body of Julie Mao covered in a strange organic growth. On her phone, Miller finds logs detailing the progression of her affliction, which seemed to be fueled by exposure to energy and radiation, and the coordinates of an asteroid where one of the ships that attacked the Cant is supposedly docked, before they can leave where they think might be docked. Before they can leave the station, a radiation alert is declared, and station security begins herding people into radiation shelters. Miller recognizes that some of the security officers are criminals from Ceres who are wearing the missing Star Helix riot gear. He and Holden stay behind to investigate while the rest of the crew is sent back to the Rossi. They discover that the people in the shelters have been doused with an unknown substance and exposed to extremely high levels of radiation. As they make their way to the docks, they realize that the people in the shelters were infected with the same organism as Julie, and the radiation was used to feed its rapid growth. And that is where we stopped. Um, right in the middle of a bunch of cool shit happening, crazy shit <laughs> happening. Um, maybe not the best place to stop, but we, we literally opened up the book halfway and figured out what chapter that fell on, and that's where the, that's where this fell.
0: A uh, couple of things. The, did you mention when Holden and crew show up, they get basically ambushed?
1: it's not in this in the summary but yeah that does happen
0: (laughs) okay so yeah that happens and that's when miller comes and saves the day because he had been tailing them because he realized that they were from that ship so he'd been following them um cool moment i thought that that was like another moment where like just the the meeting of the of the minds and the meeting of this 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 moment we'd been building to for half a book so far uh it was cool to see the characters together
1: I agree. You know, we see Miller Miller holds his own, potentially kind of saves them in this gunfight. He th- he knows a lot more about what's going on right. in some ways than Holden does, so he really well, that, holds his own in the in the um kind of c- conversations he's having.
0: Yeah, and Holden Holden and company don't make it out uh of this situation without miller because miller realizes because he'd seen the criminals before the criminals who were like putting people into the areas like they probably just would have gone into a radiation shelter also and been killed which that was pretty horrific that they were like they're basically basically just killing everyone on the station and 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 i can't tell at first it seemed like it was in order to stop the spreading like they was just some sort of like utilitarian like kill all these people so that it doesn't spread throughout the universe um, but then they were using the same thing that killed julie to kill these yeah. people So it's like it seems like they're not worried about spreading. It seems
1: it. like a sp- like a spread No, it seems like spreading it is the point. I don't know or right. or at least making it seem like this this uh, Disease has really run rampant and is is I don't know to me. This feels like another step In a series of steps to ignite conflict In the solar system, right? Yeah, and because I can see that like someone's gonna people are gonna get blamed It's going to look like something slightly different than what actually happened is what actually happened. Um, And I don't know if someone's going to come out and take credit for it or what's going to happen. But this feels to me like political maneuvers and and putting certain factions against each other. And somebody employed these criminals to do the things they're doing um, and to use this riot gear. And honestly, it was hard to put the book down at this moment (laughs) because it was very exciting. And I wanted to know what happened next.
0: We should definitely talk about the Julie finding Julie's body and and how they go yeah. through her Ooh. her diary or brutal brutal or description
1: of what has happened to her body. Very body horror. Very uh, disgusting. Um, this is some some gross shit. I was actually thinking of the scene from Annihilation, the film. Yeah, do you remember that when they find that body that's like grown into the wall and stuff? Like I I kind of imagine yeah. that because she had all this growth coming out of her in like tubes and pipes and I don't know even know it was very gross and bones and. I don't think it fits exactly, but, but no, it doesn't. No, no.
0: Well, I was going to say, I was going to say something different. I think, I think yours is, is pretty on point, but, uh, I kept thinking of dead space. Like a lot of it, a lot of this like, like station stuff made me think of like the horror element of, of dead space and being on a station. And like, like, I don't know if we'll see creatures fully, but
1: they're going to get scythes that come out and chop people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We haven't
1: seen any creatures yet, but it does feel like that could be where this is going. I don't know. Um, we haven't seen that yet, but they keep hinting at like they were looking at her and it seemed like she might be moving, but then it, then she wasn't. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get that or not, but it, it seems like it could be a possibility.
0: Yeah. So this really affects Miller, too. Like he like he kind of uh, it breaks him a little bit for a second, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, and yeah, you mentioned the the logs. I actually really like both times um, when he was reading her emails and, and the stuff here, it felt like a really cleverly done way to give a lot of character to this person that we really only saw in the, in the prologue and make you feel like you kind of get her as a person and her relationship with her family and her parents. And then we feel for her as she's starting to, as we read these logs and she's figuring out she's been infected and she's starting to, she has up one point where she sleeps for like three weeks or something crazy. Yeah. And Um, she's
0: like, I didn't even get up to pee. Like that was crazy.
1: Yeah. Some, you know, wild stuff's happening there. And and then I also love the terror, the moment where they kind of look at each other and they're like, were we infected? I don't know. I think that, um, the,
0: and the she, Julie had figured out that it wasn't airborne, right? It's right. Like, they yeah. think,
1: yeah. 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 I, yeah. And so I don't think they are, but I just like that because like when you found out that something was a disease that killed her that she didn't know she was infected with and then she ended up being infected with, that would be where mine would, mind would immediately go to, right? Like, oh shit, did yeah. I touch something? Did I get infected? Um, right. It's yeah. hard to know um so that was all great and then yeah the moment where they realize that these guys in the riot gear aren't right and they avoid certain death by avoiding the trap of going to the radiation centers that they almost go to um right. it's exciting stuff
0: how about the fact that in the logs i think she says something about how it's attracted to the radiation and the and the energy and that kind of thing yeah. like that's a big like, that's a big it. deal yeah
1: yeah so maybe that's what it needs to to to, to activate it you know like you feed yeah. it a, just a ton of radiation or something
0: Because I would assume the engines and stuff, from what we're understanding, are giving off radiation and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. in general. And there's tons of radiation in space um, just in general. So it seems like it could be really it could get out of hand and be catastrophic pretty, pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Could be. But yeah, man, I mean, that's the end of what we've come to here. Like we're very much in the middle of the story here. And now we're not even going to progress because we're going to go and we're going to watch the show, but um, it'll preserve some of the mystery a little bit. I'm going to be really curious to see five episodes in how, how much it might line up and how much it might go past, what they do with these characters. Um, I know a little bit from the little bit I've seen, but I'm going to be really fascinated to go watch it now that I have this backstory, right? And, and I just wanted to touch back on something you mentioned earlier, And how I do really like the idea of these two authors um, just playing in this world, literally in an RPG setting, and and then knowing enough and being capable enough and being talented enough to look at it and say, this could be a book, let's write this book together. Now, I don't know what that process looks like, and I'd be very curious to hear exactly how it goes down, but um it is kind of a dream it is kind of a really cool thing to imagine that that you could take a tabletop rpg session and turn it into something like this yeah um it's inspiring and 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 something that um i think does go on you know i've heard i've heard other authors talk about doing stuff like this in the past but this is quite an example of a very successful series that's based off of something that started at a tabletop session potentially very cool
0: it kind of makes me want to just like really leave it up to the dice, right? Like it, it, wa- it makes me want to just go play an RPG and like tell a story, but leave like everything up to the dice roll and then write it. And like, you know, like really leaving an entire story up to yeah. just fate of like dice rolls and stuff. Like obviously that's not what they did, but I just think like yeah. how how interesting could that be?
1: Well, I mean, there are people who sometimes um, I've read about people who use like a D20 in their writing process and will, will roll for things. Um, because there, awesome. because because there is an element of randomness that occurs in tabletop because of dice. There's the things that you want to do, and you've like convinced yourself this is gonna be really fucking cool when I do this, and mm-hmm. then you roll a one. You roll, a ne- you know what I mean? You roll a critical failure, and then now you have to like pivot and you know show what your how your character reacts to failing at doing something that you thought was gonna be really cool. And those elements can be interesting. You know, I don't know that you can craft a whole story behind, like, the randomness of a a die roll, but um, if every now and then you inject an element of just, like, pure chance um that could potentially be cool and i and i i I suspect some of the things that happened here might have happened on the in the end their tabletop sessions i i would be really curious to know i don't know if they've ever revealed that um but man what a what a great game to be a part of what about i wonder if there are other players at the table who who aren't who are left out who were yeah you know and did any of their ideas get into the into the books and how is that addressed i don't know
0: (laughs) i can already tell you how it went down there was one other player who was playing with them Uh and he was shed and he rolled a crit. he rolled a one he rolled a critical (laughs) failure (laughs) he (laughs) got got fucking gunned down by a by a railgun
1: oh man that'd be yeah like in their tabletop game he had this like really elaborate arc that went throughout the whole game session but then they he wasn't part of the one of the authors so they just kill him off early so they don't have to deal with it (laughs) he rolled a one (laughs) yeah maybe man maybe (laughs) um all right, I I think this is a good place to stop for this. Honestly, um, I'm excited to be getting into this. I feel like I understand this universe so much more now that I've spent time with it. I've gotten nitty gritty with the world building, and I just I'm really into this, man. I'm glad that we're getting into it. I'm glad I get to spend a month talking about this stuff and and learning more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I this was a welcome welcome project because. Although we have covered sci-fi before, it's been it, this kind of sci-fi has been a really long time. If you even if you if you consider Alter Carbon the same kind of in the same vein of sci-fi, which I don't even mm. know that I do, it's a, it's mm. only, it's different in ways. Maybe but this yeah. is like but this is like very sci-fi. It's a I don't know. It's like a classically sci-fi story and like I'm enjoying it a lot. It's a space opera. Um, you know what I was yeah. thinking it's going to be an interesting setup for
1: is when we cover Dune next year. Yeah. Um, because that is like a much older space opera, but it's kind of the granddaddy space opera in some sense. Uh, like a lot of people look up to that as one of the prototypes and it'll be interesting to see that, like kind of go back from something here. And I bet there's going to be things we identify and go like, Oh, looks like, you know, they, they were referencing this and maybe stuff we were not catching now that, that will become clear after we go back and covered, cover that. So, uh, that'll be something to kind of keep an eye on next year. Very excited for that. uh all right man i think let's go ahead and thank uh simone c who is a patron of our show and thank you to all our patrons uh for your support um they just did a little thing on patreon that's like a thank thank you to patrons day and i know it's kind of um kind of lame to just hop on a, a hashtag but it is something that we truly feel, right? And, and you guys really do help keep this show going, and we really do appreciate all your support. So so we tweeted out our thanks, and it is definitely true that um, you know we, we feel a lot of gratitude for that. If you wanted to figure out how to become one yourself, go to patreon.com slash ink to film. You can get access to all kinds of bonus content on there and other things. Check it out, and you can see what we're offering.
0: Yeah. Anytime we can get an excuse to thank you guys, we, we would like to. So thank you. Right. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at InktoFilm. And join the Council of Inklings because we post polls and, and any sort of project news that we see coming up. Any adaptation stuff. Uh, it's been a great way to keep up with a lot of the adaptation news that's been coming out. So check that out.
1: Absolutely. And if you wanted to help the show out, but you didn't want to have to pay any money, ratings and reviews on whatever platform you use are always greatly appreciated. Help get us to 100 reviews on iTunes.
0: That would be an awesome number to hit. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. And thank you to Jennifer DeLazano for providing our transcripts.
1: Absolutely. All right, man, I am ready to get into this show. Um, I'm going to be excited to learn about the showrunner. I don't know who it is. And I know that it's been hopping around to different networks. So I'm sure there's going to be some interesting details to talk about there. Um, I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, it's on Amazon. So if anybody's ready for a rewatch in anticipation of season four, definitely jump on with us. Absolutely. The best time you could possibly do it. (laughs) All (laughs) right. (laughs) Until then. Thanks for listening.